are now listening to PursuitCast, the official podcast of Pursuit NYC. May it be an encouragement to you today and stir your soul for revival. I have one. I'm good. Well, how you doing? That was good. Whew. I'm ready to go home. Um, if, if I am a little tender and uh, walking a little like I'm sore, it's because I am. Because uh, I did my first half marathon yesterday. Yeah. So... 13.1 miles, and uh, so I've been training for that uh, for the last uh, few months, and my kids are like, Dad, we, you got to run a half marathon with us, and I said, all right, and so they signed me up for a half marathon in October, and I'm like, October, I'm ready now. Uh, I mean, at my age, October may not come, you know, so I, I need, or Jesus may return, and I'm ready now. I don't want Jesus to come back till I run my half marathon, so, I'm, so I ran it yesterday, and my kids are like, why didn't you wait for us? I said, because at my age, I'm not running against the clock, I'm running against the calendar, and, uh, and I had to do it. I was ready, and, um, uh, and so I'm looking around, and I see faces that I knew when I was someone else. Um, I weighed 315 pounds at one point, and, um, uh, and, and actually the change happened in 2017. I went over to Vietnam to help them start a seminary over there in Ho Chi Minh City. By the way, 1.5 million Christians in, in Vietnam. Um, it's really cool what God's done over there. And, uh, and, and so I was there for 10 days, and um, you know, the Vietnamese people are, are fairly small. You Koreans are bigger, you know. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but the, the Vietnamese people are kind of small and, um, and, and in 10 days there, I never saw a single person bigger than me. And so I came home and I said to my wife, oh, hell no, I can't be the fattest person in the whole nation. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I just had a, a moment of, oh, I got to do something about this, you know? And so, uh, you know, I, I, I went for it. I, I actually, uh, had surgery. Uh, I know not everyone, you know, but I had to go nuclear, and, um, and so I lost 110 pounds, and I, I went back to Vietnam, and there was a guy in my class, I looked at him, and I said, what do you weigh? And I figured the kilograms to pounds, and he weighed five pounds more than me, and I went, yes. <laughs> I'm no longer the fattest person in the entire nation, so, yeah, but uh, there's a purpose for me telling you that, uh, because over the last year, the Lord has told me that um, what's happened with me uh, is a prophetic uh, declaration. And it started uh, when Wanda and I uh, hiked the Camino last uh, year. And uh, if you've never done that, put it on your bucket list. We did the Camino from Portugal up to uh, 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 Santiago. And uh, this May we're taking about 20 students and we're doing it again. And, and I'm sure I'm going to do it again. It was a, a very powerful pilgrimage for me. But it was on that pilgrimage that the Lord said, um, the transformation that I've done in you physically is a prophetic declaration that radical transformation is possible. That you don't have to be who you've always been. Okay? And I, I want that to land because I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to some of you, and especially some of you that knew me uh, when you know, I was 315 pounds and an incredibly unhealthy what the, what the Lord is declaring over you, and I'm standing here, I just ran a half marathon. If you'd have told me two years ago I would run a half marathon, I'd have said, you're crazy. But 
I'm a walking miracle. Uh, and, and, and God's in this. And, and the reason God is doing it is he is, uh, he is launching revival in this region. But before he launches revival in this region, he wants to launch revival in you. And we can't handle revival yet out here until we get it here. Um, and, and the Lord's got to revive his sons and daughters before you know, they can come back. And so um, I had a word for Jeshin that is for all of you. Um, and uh, I saw her walking through New York City and she was thrusting her fists in the air. And every place she thrust her fists in the air, um, she was poking holes in the darkness. And, and there's a canopy, I saw this canopy of darkness. And, um, and the reason I'm telling you, it's not just for her, I saw thousands of warriors commissioned to thrust their fists into the canopy of darkness. And every place her fist went into that canopy, the light of God started to come down. And I think that's what's gonna happen. The Lord is commissioning warriors to thrust their fists into the air. And so I wanna do something weird. I, I want you to stand up with me. I want you to stand up. Um, and I believe that he's actually, the commission, and I got this for Jeshin, and I'm getting it for you too. He's already commissioned you. The commission has come from heaven. And some of you know it. And so right now, I want you to put both fists into the air. Okay? And I just saw, um, it was like a liquid, it looked like mercury coming out of heaven, but I think it was like a, a Teflon. And the Lord is, uh, is coating your fists with uh, some kind of heavenly anointing to break through darkness. And you guys are going to be darkness piercers. Wherever you go, you're going to thrust your... And in fact, I think you should do this. I know you're going to look weird in the subway. You're going to look weird where you go. But I think as you're walking around, I just saw kind of pictures of you guys just going, you know, <laughs> throwing your fists in the air. And, uh, and be careful. Don't challenge anyone to a fight because the only fight we want is in the spirit. Um, but I, Father, now let your anointing come. Let your anointing come. These are warriors who have been commissioned to poke holes in the darkness. And, and there is coming a demolition of the canopy of darkness over New York City. It's time for an open heaven. For those of you that have been to Reading, you know what an open heaven feels like. I want you to know I was in Reading before the heaven was opened. And our church was part of the that early season of poking our fists into the air and piercing the darkness so that the light of God could come. Well, now the canopy has been broken over Reading, but when God does it over New York, the world will never be the same again. So, Father, we ask for a commissioning all across this region of people who, when they thrust their fists into the air, every place they go, they're, they're breaking they are piercing holes in the canopy of darkness. And that canopy of darkness is going to get weaker and weaker. And then it's just going to crumble. And it's just going to just fall. And the light of God is going to come over New York. We, we call that forth, the light of God over New York. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hmm. Um, I, I have a sermon, but I feel like there's a couple more things I'm supposed to share with you. Um, because you guys, 
uh, are being commissioned as um, you know, fist-pumping darkness breakers, all right? And, um, and, and so I want to I kind of lay a couple stories out for you. Um, a few years ago, some of you have heard this uh, that have had me in class, uh, I was praying for my oldest daughter. My, my oldest daughter is a brilliant, um, you know, she's a program director, she creates apps uh, and uh, websites, she can work anywhere in the world. Um, she works for the marijuana industry, uh, creating apps for all the mass roots people and the entrepreneurs, and she's always telling me I need to buy stock in marijuana. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I haven't yet, but I, I might have grace for it if it helps my retirement. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and so my daughter, she's got a real anointing on her life, but she's been running from God for a long time. And, um, and I was praying for her a few years ago. And, um, and as I was praying, I had this vision. Uh, and in the vision, I saw thousands and thousands of sheep scattered across these hillsides, just thousands of them. And I was standing at the sheep pen. I knew the sheep pen represented the church. And so I looked and I saw these thousands of sheep outside the sheep pen, away from, from the church. And then as I looked at them, I saw that they were sheep that were covered with wolf skins, okay? So they were the opposite of the biblical imagery. You know, in Scripture, we're, we're warned about wolves in sheep's clothing. So I'm looking, and I'm seeing sheep in wolf's clothing. And I said, Lord, what is that? And here's what he said. Those are, he said, those are my sons and daughters that have walked away from the church, the prodigals. You know some of them. And he said, right now, they don't look like my sheep. They don't look like my sons and daughters because they've put on a facade of who the world wants them to be. And, and that's who they're pretending to be. But then he said, make no mistake about it, they belong to me. And, there's a coming, and then he said this, there's coming a move in my spirit when they will cast off the facade of who they look like. And they will be raised up as my sons and daughters my sheep, wherever they're. And so I started to get excited. I'm like, yes, Lord, bring them back, bring them back. And, and he rebuked me. He, he rebuked me right in the middle. He said, no, don't pray that they would return to the church as it exists. Pray that they would be raised up as the church wherever they are. Because I have positioned them, and this is for you. You, you need to go with this. I, I need you guys to pray into it and live into it. He said this, I have positioned them in arts, in entertainment, in business, in music, I have positioned them strategically so that when they cast off the, the wolf skin and, and rise up as the sheep of God, the sons and daughters of God, thousands will hear the gospel that will never hear it from the church. Okay, are you catching me? So go back last fall, it was in August, we get a phone call down at our city campus and it's Justin Bieber or it might have been his manager, but it was Bieber behind the voice, okay? And, he, and, and the manager said, uh, I'm calling because Justin Bieber needs a man of God to come and do his wedding at City Hall. And his fiance was discipled by a student from Nyack College, and she said, call Nyack College, there'll be somebody there that can marry us. And my friend Jeff Quinn, some of you know Jeff Quinn, went to City Hall and spent half an hour with Justin Bieber and Haley Baldwin and prayed with them 
and kind of did a quick premarital counseling for about half an hour and then performed the ceremony. Now that's one sheep in wolf's clothing who's starting to look like the sheep. But we got to pray for him. He's under an incredible amount of pressure. But once I had that vision, it, it, it changed the way I prayed for my kids. I, I no longer prayed with fear. I no longer prayed with judgment. I no longer prayed with self-righteousness. It changed the way I prayed for Katy Perry. It changed the way I prayed for Beyonce. It changed the way I prayed for all the prodigals. And it's going to change the way you pray for them. Because listen to me, they are the sons and daughters and God's mark is upon them and they're going to find their way home. And so we need to begin to pray prophetically that they would be raised up as the sons and daughters. I'm going to tell you something, this, this goes further than you think. I'm, I'm going to kind of push your religious world here a little bit. I'm going to give you a little history. I'm like the oldest person in the room. Is there anybody older than me? Nobody's older than me. I'm the old dude. It's so good to be the old guy. By the way, I am Korean. <laughs> you know that story? So I, I'm out at the mall here in, uh, in Nyack, and there's a, a lady from Columbia, South, uh, South America, and she's cutting my hair. And she says to me, so you're Korean, right? And I look at her and I go, no, I'm not Korean. <laughs> she goes, no, you're Korean. She goes, I don't believe you. I go, no, I'm not Korean. She goes, well, what kind of Asian are you? I go, I'm not Asian. I'm Caucasian. And she wouldn't believe me. So she still thinks I'm lying. She says, so, so, so I'm Korean, okay? Just bring me the bulgogi and the kaibi and I'm in. That's right, yeah. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, okay. I got to give you a little history lesson here. Sorry, this is not a sermon, but I just feel like this is some stuff I'm supposed to share with you. Um, back in the 1960s, there was a cultural movement called the hippie movement. And I know none of you are old enough to remember this, but it was, it was the 60s, it was the free love movement, it was rock and roll, it was, you know, marijuana gone crazy, it was, you know, uh, it, it was just wild. Now, I was only, I, I was born in 62, so I was like eight years old at the end of the 60s, and so I have a vague memory of this, a childlike memory, but I was raised in a, a pastor's home, and my brothers were 14 and 15 years older than me. So I heard the fear in my parents' voice that they might lose their sons to the hippie movement. They might lose their sons to the drug movement or the free love movement. And I heard people in churches say things like, we lost our daughter to the hippie movement. We lost our son to the free love movement. And, and it was seen in the church as the spirit of antichrist, as rebellion, as evil, dare I say the current, uh, you know, synonym to the hippie movement would be the LGBTQ movement, okay? That's the level of fear that the church operated in towards the hippies. And, and they thought they were as godless and as far from God as they could possibly be. And then you know what the Holy Spirit did? He visited the hippie movement with a revival. It's called the Jesus People Revival. And if you do research, you can go back and there is a, a cover of Time Magazine with a hippie preacher named Lonnie Frisbee who launched the Calvary Chapel Revival, who launched the Vineyard Revival, and he's baptizing other hippies in the ocean. And 
religious historians estimate that over 100,000 young people got swept into the kingdom through the Jesus People Revival. It wasn't just in California. It was all across the United States. Now, here's the thing to keep in mind. When all these hippies got saved, the church couldn't handle them. The church couldn't assimilate them because the church was very religious and traditional and and, and, and I think this gives some wisdom to that vision I had when, when the Lord said, don't pray that they'd come back, pray that they would be the church wherever they are, because the church can't assimilate somebody that doesn't look like them. Does that make sense? And so what happened is uh, Calvary Chapel got birthed, and the vineyard got birthed, and all these denominations that didn't exist prior to the Jesus People Revival, they had to be birthed to assimilate all these brand new Christians that didn't look like Christians, okay? So here's where I'm going with this. What if the Holy Spirit came with power and visited the LGBTQ movement? Can you imagine? Now, the church would freak out, you know, but what if there was a revival among the lesbians and the gays and the bisexuals and the transgenders? I mean, I've already seen evidence that the Spirit of God is moving on these people. And so what I want to encourage you to do is when you're piercing holes in the darkness, know that it's not to wage war against the victims of the enemy. It's to wage war against the enemy. Okay? The hippies were never the enemies of God. Any more than the gay community is the enemy of God. They're victims of the enemy. And our job is to love them and show mercy and to bring the kingdom wherever they are. Does that make sense? And so as you're praying for revival, it starts here first. Lord, you've got to set us free. Radical transformation is possible. I do not have to be who I have always been. God has something new and fresh for you. Okay, so right now, what I want you to do is I want you to, in your spirit, declare, don't, don't do it out loud. I don't, I, want, I don't want you to pray Korean style right now. I want you to pray silently, okay? Um, but I want you to declare in your spirit what it is you're leaving behind. So I, I left behind um, a, a very unhealthy lifestyle. I, I left behind, uh, you know, no exercise. I left behind. I had to make physical changes in my life, and then spiritual changes came as a result as well. Radical transformation is possible. What, what are the habits that you need to leave behind? What are the new spirit habits that you need to embrace? And the enemy has lied to you. So for years, I didn't start running until I was 56 years old. Uh, and I, I used to tell people, I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner. Well, I got news for you. I'm a runner. But I believed a lie for 56 years. And I declared, I spoke over myself, I am not this. I am not this. And those words had power over me. So you have been speaking some lies over yourself. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a worship leader. I'm You've been declaring that stuff. And in Jesus' name, stop it. Right now, stop it. And begin to declare the truth over your life because revival has to start in you before it can start elsewhere. He's got to get the sons and daughters ready. Let it come. Whew. Let it come.
So leave some stuff behind. Radical transformation is possible. You don't have to be who you've always been. So listen, just uh, some of you right now, you're looking for some big spiritual thing. Um, for some of you, it's like me, it's a physical issue. The, the Lord is, is convicting you that in order to get you ready for the coming revival, there's some things you need to do physically, there's some things you need to do emotionally, there's some things you do, need to do in your soul. And so Father, right now I pray that your spirit would tap us on the shoulder All right, Sam, how are we doing on time? What time are we got to be out of here? Okay. My wife said to me, what time will we be home? I said, 2.30. Revival's going to break out. I was joking, you know. I mean, who knows? Maybe it will. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. I don't have to go to church tomorrow. I already mailed my tithe check. Um, I know. My pastor says I'm fine skipping as long as I send my tithe check. I'm just kidding, Okay. All right, um, I want to tell you a story. Uh, in my church in California, I was just out in Reading. I was in Reading for 10 years and uh, uh, pastored a church that's still there uh, called Risen King. Um, I, know, I knew Bill Johnson before Bill was Bill Johnson. You know, we used to go fishing together. And um, um, we, our church planted another church called The Stirring uh, that's now about 2,000 people. And uh, so it, it, Reading's a cool place. Well, one of the things that we noticed, um, this was back in the, the 90s, we noticed that we had a lot of young boys, 12 and 13, 14, that did not have good father figures. And so the men in our church had just gotten ignited through this thing called Promise Keepers, which was a men's movement that swept the country. And the men in our, of our church kind of adopted young boys uh, and started to disciple them. And so if a young man didn't have a father, we made sure that young man had a mentor. And we didn't just do discipleship, we did some fun stuff with them, but we had a whole fall where we just had uh, discipleship, men kind of mentoring their own sons and, uh, and, and young men that didn't have fathers. And so we culminated this with a retreat. And we called the retreat Boys to Men, B-O-Y-Z to Men. We stole it from the singing group. And we took these young guys off, and we had this incredible weekend with them. And, um, and we closed our time where the men in the church, they formed this uh, like a fire tunnel, a hall of honor. And we had the boys stand on one side, and then their father stood on the other end. And I, and I would say, Bryce Walborn, you are God's beloved son on whom his favor rests. Come forth into your destiny as a man of God. And so these young men, it was a rites of passage, would walk down this, this hall of honor, and the men of the church would lay hands on them and pray over them and prophesy. And it was really cool. Well, as this is happening, um, and there's not a dry eye in the place, everybody's totally into it, this guy walks up to me. His name was John Barker. He was in his 80s. Uh, John Barker was one of our elders. John Barker was a spiritual giant. John Barker was a World War II veteran. Um, he, he was respected by everybody in the church uh, and deeply loved. And John Barker comes up to me and he goes, you know, pastor, I want to walk down that hall of honor. 
I, I want you guys to call me into my destiny. And I looked at him and I go, John, you're 80 years old, you know, and, and you're a man's man. Everybody loves you. Everybody respects you. You're an elder. You're a spiritual leader. You don't need to walk down the hall. And he got angry. He goes, I'm walking down that hall. God's not done with me. God has more for me. And I want everything he has for this next season. Well, he probably could have killed me. So I said, yes, sir. You know, and, and he stood at that one end and I said, John Barker, you are God's beloved son. Come forth into your destiny as a man of God. And so he starts walking down that hall and the guys start praying over him. Well, that just ruined everything. Every guy in the whole church was like, well, John got to go. We're going to go too. <laughs> and we were there till 2.30 in the morning, okay? Um, but let me tell you why that story is so important. That changed our church dramatically. And, and it launched us into this idea. God's got more for you. And the filling of the Holy Spirit is for everyone. And the filling of the Holy Spirit is for people who have already been filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Because God's got more for you. Because no matter what you've experienced, he's got more for you. And your baptism and your salvation is not the pinnacle of your Christian experience. You know, I love baptisms. I, I love, you know, you know, the salvation stories. But guys, if your salvation is the pinnacle of your Christian experience, then you're missing out. Because your salvation is just the doorway into the things of God. I mean, he has life in the kingdom and freedom and power and his glory like you can't fully see on the day of your salvation. And here's the problem. We get stuck. And even those of us that are more charismatic and we believe in the filling of the Holy Spirit, we get enamored with that experience we had in, you know, 2008. Oh, that was awesome. That retreat, God came. Remember that? Yeah, but we could use them again in 2019. And, and so what happens is we get stuck in past glory and we miss the present glory. And, and it happens to churches all the time. They have a revival where people fall over. And, and then they have the revival next year and they push people over, you know, because <laughs> that's the way it's got to happen, you know. And listen, God's got more for you and it almost never looks like what it looked like before. I mean, again, think about this. Jesus almost never healed anyone the same way twice. Because he knew we would get stuck in a rut and we'd, you know, do it the same way. I mean, he, he speaks the healing word. He lays on hands. He spits in the eyes. He sticks fingers in the ear. I mean, you cannot put him in a box and you can't put the Holy Spirit in a box. And so God's got more for you. So what I want to do tonight is I want to quickly walk through uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit through scriptures. And, um, and, and I'm excited as a seminary dean because there's a lot of good stuff coming out on the Holy Spirit right now in the academy. I know you're not all students, but pick up anything written by a guy named Craig Keener. Uh, he's a PhD in New Testament from Asbury. He, he just put out a 1,600-page commentary, two volumes on Acts. Come on, you can read that in your spare time, you know? Come on, you can do it. Um, but but he's, he is a Holy Spirit-anointed biblical scholar. And so uh, there's a new openness that's coming, I believe, that's going to get us, getting us ready for this. And so uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, or pneumatology, uh, as it's known in seminary, the study of the breath of God, pneuma means breath, um, it, it doesn't start in the New Testament. 
I think a good study of the Holy Spirit has to start back in the Old Testament. So let me go to Numbers chapter 11, and we'll start here, and we'll walk through this. Um, this is right after Moses had led the children of Israel into the desert, and, uh, and he's getting frustrated with them. They're complaining, they're whining, and uh, now he has a conversation in Numbers 11 with God that's really instructive in terms of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Verse 10, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. And the Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. And he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Now, if you've been in leadership for longer than 10 minutes, you've prayed that prayer, okay? <laughs> and believe it or not, your parents prayed that prayer shortly after you were born, okay? <laughs> and, and they prayed it more frequently when you became a teenager, all right? Uh, because there's something about leadership that brings a burden, okay? And, and you can feel it. And Moses is, is weighed down by this burden. And then he gets real honest and he gets sarcastic. I love this. It's, this is instructive on how you're to pray, okay? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. That's a prayer right there, right? Okay. If I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. Take me home right now. Now, how many of you have believed that lie that says God will never give you more than you can bear? I want you to know that's a lie from the pit of hell. And if anybody has ever said, well, you know, brother, God will never give you more than you can bear, that's, that's garbage. Because I can prove to you, he will always give you more than you can bear. You know why? Because he wants to break you of your self-sufficiency. He wants to break you of the deception that you can do this on your own. And that's what he's doing to Moses. He is literally crushing him so that Moses says, oh God, if there's not something more, I'm done, kill me. Listen, if you don't get to that place, you won't get more. See, we're going to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I went through a season, I read every book I could find on the filling of the Holy Spirit. And to be honest, they weren't very helpful. They, I mean, they were terrible. The, the one book I read, you got to read your Bible, you got to pray, you got to fast, you got to do this, you got to repent of all known sin. You gotta, and I remember reading it going, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do all that stuff. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I think there's only one prerequisite for the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that is desperation and hunger. Now, now hear me. If you can live without more, you will live without more. And, and that's the state of the church. They're just getting by, and there's not a hunger. And so one of the first things we need to pray is crush them, God. Drive them to you. End their self-sufficiency and their self-preservation and let them see they've got to come to the end of themselves. And so the Lord has an answer. He says, all right, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand with you, there with you. And I will come down and speak with you there and I'll take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them and they will share the burden of the people with you, okay? One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to help leaders share the burden, 
okay? You were never meant to carry it alone, and the Holy Spirit wants to distribute it out. And he says, so that you will not have to carry it alone. And so Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on them and put it on the 70 elders. And when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. Now, for those of you that are seminary grads, there's a variant translation here. In most of your Bibles, it says, and they did not do so again. That's a bad translation. I'm going to tell you why. In the Hebrew, it can also be translated, and they continued to do so. And the reason I think that's the better translation is because of what happens next. Because what happens next is there were two guys who were supposed to be at the meeting who didn't show up. They stayed inside the village, and uh, Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp and continued to do so, is the way it's worded there. Um, and then look what happens. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Again, continuing to do so. It's getting out of control here. And Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. The spirit of a pastor came on him. Okay? We need to get this under control. Okay? This is getting out of control. All right. Let me tell you what's going on here. Joshua's jealousy is getting out of control because he had been Moses' aide since youth, and in those days, the Spirit was poured out very exclusivistically. One old Jewish man got it, and then the guy that was faithful to walk by his side was the next one to get it, and now these 70 get released, get empowered by the Holy Spirit, and even two guys that didn't follow the rules, they didn't show up. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. They don't deserve the Holy Spirit. And, and the 68 others don't either. I'm, I should be the one, is what's going on here. And so there is a sense in which when the Spirit begins to move, it, it will raise jealousy in some leaders. And it will raise control in some people. And they'll try to control the status quo. But folks, the status quo is killing us. we got to break free. And so Moses steps up, and he, this is a contrast in leadership, by the way. And Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? Now, there's no response from Joshua, but if there was, Joshua would say, actually, I really wasn't thinking about you at all, Moses. I'm jealous for my sake, because I'm the one that should be next in line. And Moses says, let me tell you what the right response is. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. Now, friends, what Moses is praying in Numbers 11 gets picked up later by a prophet named Joel who prophesied to the southern kingdom of Judah. And I want you to hear me. What he says is kind of what is launched by the spirit of Moses. He says, afterward, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Uh, you think the 70 was wild and out of control. No, no, no. The spirit's going to come upon sons and daughters. Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. Now, friends, please understand how radical this would have sounded to 8th century Judah, 
where only the prophets and the priests and the kings, only men got the Holy Spirit. And then only old Jewish men got the Spirit. And now this prophet is saying, no, 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 there's coming a day. You remember that story about Moses? You think that was crazy. Seventy other men, now it's going to be the sons and the daughters. It's going to be the young and the old. It's going to be the men and the women. Now, ladies, listen to me. This is important because we need to correct some complementarian theology here for a minute. Progression is important in Scripture. It starts out exclusively being the property of an old Jewish man, the Holy Spirit anointing. But then you see it expand out to the 70. And then you see it expand out to the sons and the daughters. And then you see it expand out to the, to the men and the women. And so the progression of Scripture is important for determining theology. And I'm going to tell you something. The progression of Scripture is this. The Lord doesn't distinguish between men and women when it comes to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to teaching, when it comes to preaching, when it comes to healing, when it comes to prophesying, guess what, ladies? You get to play. You get to play. And as a seminary dean, my goal is to launch as many pastors that will release women and as many pastors who will be women as I possibly can. I'm actually married to one, you know. <laughs> She has more anointing than I do. I mean, I, these days I travel with Wanda and we preach somewhere and, and people pull me aside and say, hey, Ron, we like you, but can we get a little more Wanda? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of that lately, okay? And that's okay by me. It's okay by me because it's what was prophesied by Joel. Now, then in John 20, this is after the resurrection. Uh, this is launching the new covenant era, guys. Don't think that Acts 2 is the initiation of the church age. No, 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 it's John 20. Okay, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says that this is the moment of new covenant regeneration when the Holy Spirit brought to life the Spirit in a new covenant manner. And the parallel passage, I believe, of this is Matthew 28, at the end of John, at the end of Matthew. And Jesus said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. Again, this is Jesus doing it different. Okay, he breathes on them. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, breath is pneuma. So there's, there's kind of a natural analogy that he's using to help them receive something spiritual. He is breathing on them, and there is a, a moment, I believe this is the moment of regeneration when the Spirit births their spirit within them, and they go, wow, everything's changed. Okay, this is the moment where the church age begins. Now, a few weeks after this, they're in Acts chapter 1, and Jesus is getting ready to ascend to the Father, and he gathers the disciples and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, okay? The Holy Spirit is going to come on you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I want you to use your sanctified imagination here with me for a minute, Okay? I want you to picture the disciples sitting there. Now remember, they'd already had this experience where Jesus went, receive the Holy Spirit. Now they're sitting there just before he goes and, and he says, guys, there is something that's coming. The Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you. You're gonna receive power. And Peter's sitting there next to John. And Peter turns to John and he goes, hey John, what happened in John 20? Now I know John 20 wasn't written yet. I actually went to seminary, okay? Um, 
Okay, but what happened, you know, when Jesus, what was that? Now he's saying, wait, what, didn't we get it? Didn't we get the Holy Spirit? Now he's saying, wait, because the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you? And John is sitting there and he goes, yeah, I don't know. I don't have it all figured out yet. That's why I'm going to wait about 40 years before I write my gospel. Um, you know, and, and, um, and also, I'm going to wait till you guys are all dead so that in my gospel, I can refer to myself as the disciple who Jesus loved. <laughs> Right? And you won't be around to argue. So, yeah, you got some seminary, okay? Um, so, I picture John going, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. But I think what Jesus is saying is don't get stuck in a John 20 experience when Acts 2 is right around the corner. Don't get stuck in what God did back here and miss what God is doing next. And so, so let me speak to a multi-denominational setting here. Some of you are Pentecostal, some of you are charismatic, some of you are not. Let me, let me just remove all the theology here for a minute and say, here's what we can agree on. God's got more for you. God's got more for you. And it's not going to look the same as it did in the past. It's going to be different. Okay? Which leads us to... Uh, kind of the, the, the way this is going to go at Pentecost is the Holy Spirit is given not just to carry the burden of p- the people, but to carry the mission of God now. He's commissioning everyone, not just the prophet, priests, and kings, and to empower Christians subsequent to salvation. And this progression of exclusivity to inclusivity is going to go crazy. Okay, So the disciples weren't just going to hoard this for themselves. No, they're supposed to give it away, give it away, give it away. So we get to Acts 2. And Acts 2 is, this is the Shazam wowing moment of the early church, okay? This is the first empowerment where the Spirit comes upon them. They'd already been filled in the sense of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So, little theology point. There's no such thing as a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Because you can't be a Christian without the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, bringing your spirit to life. That's John 3, what Jesus said to Nicodemus, okay? So you all have the Holy Spirit, but you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to come upon you every day. You need more. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it best. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day because I leak. Okay, And you're supposed to leak. You're supposed to leak out over everybody, all right? So we get to Acts 2, and and here's the problem. There's two extremes in interpreting this passage. So let me read it to you, and then I'll tell you the two extremes. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there's two extremes in interpreting this passage. The one extreme says this was the initiation of the church age, it happened once, and it will never happen again, okay? And so there's a, there's a, a group of people out there that say, uh-uh, nope, that was just a one-time thing. It'll never happen again. Here's the problem with that. It happens again in Acts 4 to these same people. It happens again in Acts 6. It happens again in Acts 8. It happens again in Acts, you know, 17. The Holy Spirit is being poured out again and again, and sometimes it's on the same people that were here in Acts 2, And so it's not just a one-time experience. It doesn't always look like this, but he is constantly filling and coming upon people. Second extreme is there are some people that say it always has to look like this. 
that if the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to be tongues of fire. It's going to be Shibata Honda, Shibata Yamaha. It's going to be, you know, I tie my bow tie, I untie my bow tie, you know, uh, you know, you know, it's going to be, he's going over, you know, listen, you know, Frank Chan, you guys know Frank Chan at the seminar? So Frank's a short little Chinese guy. We both came to Nyack in 1999 together, and Frank got filled with the Spirit in my living room, got a major deliverance, and, and he became this revival junkie. And so in about 2000 or 2001, he comes to my house and he goes, Ron, revival's breaking out in North Jersey. We got to go. And I'm like, okay. And, uh, and so I get in the car with Frank, and we drive somewhere to North Jersey, and we pull into this church, and the sign is in Korean. I go, Frank, this is a Korean church. He goes, I know, but revival's breaking out. We're, we're here. Uh, is it going to be translated? I don't know. And <laughs> so me and this Chinese guy, we go into a Korean church. It's all Koreans. Nothing is translated. Every, they're singing in Korean. They're preaching in Korean. I'm like, Frank, I can't understand a thing. He goes, yeah, neither can I, but God's here. Sorry. <laughs> so we get to the end of this service, and I, I'm sitting there, you know, Bored stiff. Didn't even have a phone that was a smartphone because it was 2001. I had a flip phone, you know. You couldn't even surf the web. Um, so I, finally we get to the end, and they, they start to form a healing line in the front. They're going to pray for people. And Frank goes, come on, let's go up. I go, okay. I sat through this whole thing. And so I'm up in the front of this first-gen Korean church. Only white. See, I told you I'm Korean. Um, only white guy. At least Frank looks like he fits in a little bit, you know. So... So we're standing there, and, and they, they're coming down. Well, we're standing this way. So they're coming down, and they're praying for people. And I look down, and everybody is going down. Boom, boom, boom. They got catchers, you know. Boom, they're dropping them. And so I look behind me to make sure I had someone, you know, the size of San Juan to catch me, you know, because <laughs> I was about 280 at the time, you know. And, uh, and so, yeah, they had a big guy behind me. And so they get to me, and they start praying for me. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm ready, I'm ready. And they even started praying in English. You know, it was contextual theology. It was good. <laughs> so they're praying for me. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm, I've had it happen. I, I've, I've gone down. But for whatever reason, I wasn't going down. And so they start pushing me. <laughs> and, and the guy behind me starts touching me in wildly inappropriate ways, you know. <laughs> I'm back here. You can fall any time, you know. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Uh, you know, we're a friendly church, okay? You know. And, and I'm standing, and now I'm getting ticked, and I'm pushing back, you know. <laughs> and and I, I was losing my joy. I was not happy, you know. And so finally they give up on the stiff-necked white man, and they move to Frank, okay. So I'm standing there, you know, only guy standing. Everybody's on the ground, and I'm standing there like this. And they start to pray for Frank, and Frank goes down in the first minute. And so they move on, and I kneel down, and I go, hey, Frank. Hey. And he goes, yes. I go, so you went down, huh? He goes, not really, but I knew I was going to develop a bad attitude if I stayed up, so I did a courtesy fall. I went, a courtesy fall, is that legal? He goes, I don't know, but I'm having a good time with God, so leave me alone. Okay, now that's funny, all right? Frank's obviously more sanctified than I am, okay? But friends, we should not have to do courtesy falls in the house of God. Let's let God do what he wants to do how he wants to do it. 
Because sometimes the Holy Spirit comes like a mighty rushing wind. Sometimes he comes like tongues of fire. But sometimes he comes like a gentle dove and a quiet whisper. See, sometimes the Holy Spirit, he's coming on Sunday morning. You see, I think he wants to fill us and baptize us every time we get together. I feel like every time the people of God are gathered together, if we get a tipping point of people saying, we welcome you, the Spirit wants to dive in and baptize us and fill us. In fact, can I tell you that I think we have individualized the pursuit of the Holy Spirit way too much? Because if you read the Scripture, He fills groups of people. He fills groups. He fills churches. He fills... And so I think we should pray for families to be filled. I think we should pray for people that aren't here tonight to be filled. It's biblical. Eldad and Medad got blasted, right? And they didn't even make the pursuit meeting, okay? <laughs> so who you got? Get out! You know, distance baptism, all right? <laughs> so please hear me. When you're pursuing him, pursue him and don't pursue manifestations. I have a friend from uh, Uganda, his name's Eridard. He says, when you follow Jesus, signs will follow. When you follow signs, Jesus will not follow. Okay? Now, I'm not anti-signs. I'm not anti-manifestations. I want everything the Father has for us, but I want him. And I want his presence. And however he comes is fine for me. Well, Acts 2 then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Okay, I want to get shirts made. In fact, pursuit, I'm going to give you guys a commission. You you guys need to get shirts made that say, it's nine o'clock somewhere, Acts (laughs) 2.15. Now, let me tell you why. You don't get that, Okay. Koreans must not listen to Jimmy Buffett. You've never heard Jimmy Buffett? It's five o'clock somewhere. It's a drinking song, okay? You're good church people. That's good. You don't know Jimmy Buffett, okay? So there's a drinking song, and he says, it's the song, oh, geez. It's, sorry, I'm, I, all the religious spirits left, all right? We're gone. Okay, all right. Um, there's a drinking song by Jimmy Buffett that says, it's five o'clock somewhere, meaning you can drink at any time because it's five o'clock somewhere. My point is, it's 9 o'clock somewhere, Acts 2.15, which means it's always time for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, okay? Um, No, this is what the prophet Joel spoke of in the last days. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. So here it is, the the movement from exclusivity to inclusivity. Now we're seeing the fulfillment of what Joel had prophesied 800 years before. Your sons and daughters, young men, old men, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Then look what he says. He says, listen, get in on this. Repent and believe every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you get it too. You get the gift of the Holy Spirit too. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. And I don't think he just means geographically. I think he means chronologically far off. So in, uh, where are we, Northvale, New Jersey, I think he had Northvale in mind. At least I know the Holy Spirit did. In 2019, the Holy Spirit wants to fill a group of people who are not just geographically far off from this moment, but chronologically far off. And so the promise is for all whom the Lord our God will call. Last passage, and then we'll pray. This is where it really gets radically inclusive. Okay, this is how serious God is about this. 
when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria, so what's Samaria? Samaria is that land in between Galilee and Judea. It's where the half-breeds had, they'd intermarried with people of other faiths. They were, they were traitors to the Jewish faith. And, and so the Jews hated them. Guess what? They got in on the gospel. And so the disciples said, we need to send Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers. These are Christians there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. You know what this verse is saying? Your salvation is not the end. It's just the beginning. And and the, the early apostles didn't want the believers in Samaria to get stuck on their testimony of their baptism. They wanted them to know there was more. And so they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord. See what he's saying? Simply baptism isn't enough. God has more for you. And our discipleship has gloried in the salvation moment, and we have forgotten it's just the doorway in to the beauty of God and everything he has for us. And so then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. All right. Let me tell you one story, and then we'll um, pray. When Wanda and I were getting ready to start ministry, we were in our early 20s, and, um, and I went to this Christian camp in Pennsylvania in 1986, and, and they, they had a sermon on the filling of the Holy Spirit at this Christian and Missionary Alliance camp. Very conservative, very very measured. There was no hand raising. We lowered the fans to keep those kind of people out, you know. Uh, no hippies, okay. No Jesus people, you know, shirt and tie, even at camp. Uh, very conservative. This guy sp- speaks on the Holy Spirit. And I grabbed Wanda by the hand and I said, we're going forward. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we went to the altar and we knelt down at the altar. They actually had an altar at this camp and we knelt down there and this guy comes up and he goes, um, uh, how do you want us to pray? What, what do you need? I said, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes, okay. And he laid hands on us and said, uh, Jesus, fill them with your spirit. Amen. And he started to walk away. And I went, hey. <laughs> I, I, I yelled at him. Hey. He goes, what? I go, am I filled? He goes, yes, you're filled. I go, is she filled? He goes, yes, she's filled. I said, are you sure? He goes, yes. There's no evidence. Okay. There's no evidence. You just receive it by faith. Now, hear me. You do receive the things of God by faith, but don't say you have it until you know you have it. Let me give you an example. We make fun of the name it, claim it people, the health, wealth, prosperity people, you know, who are naming naming and claiming their healing even when their nose is running. And I always want to say they have a fever and their nose is running and they're sick and uh, and they're... uh, they're walking around going, I claim it in Jesus' name. And I always want to say, claim it over there until you're healed. Because right now you're contagious and I don't want to catch it from you. Okay? So in other words, you do receive it by faith. But don't say you have it until you know God has met you. And I had no confidence that God had met me. In fact, the next day, Juan and I got in a big argument. And, um, and in the middle of the argument, I yelled at her, nothing happened to you last night. And she gave it right back. She said, nothing happened to you either. I go, I know. And that, in July of 86, started us on a desperate pursuit. God, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. This 
church as it has been and as we are experiencing it now, it, it's, it's got to be better than this. There's got to be more. Fast forward in February, my elders at this little CMA church in Connecticut sent me to a vineyard conference in Anaheim, California called Signs and Wonders in the Kingdom of God. And I, I went to get filled with the Holy Spirit because I thought the Holy Spirit lived in California because nothing much was happening in Connecticut. So I, I, I go up front the first night and I go up and this ministry team person named Joe comes up and he says, are you ready to be filled with the love of the Father? And I went, yeah, I'm ready. And he went, nah, you're not ready. Come back tomorrow. I'll pray for you tomorrow. And he, he moves away from me. And I'm like, who trained you to be on the ministry team? You know. So he, he walks away. So I go back to my seat. Next night I go up. He comes up to me. Are you ready to be filled with the love of the Father? Yeah, I'm ready. He goes, nah, you're not ready. He said, come back tomorrow. Maybe I'll pray for you tomorrow. He moves on. Um, I'm like, at least pray for me to get ready. You know, Give me something here. So he does that to me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. He doesn't pray for me. Now, I don't know what he was seeing. I thought I was ready. But every time he asked, I'd say, yes, I'm ready. And he'd go, nah, not yet. And uh, that week was an incredible week. Friday night, the last night, John Wimber preached. And he said, Jesus has more for pastors. If you're a pastor, come forward. We're going to pray for you tonight. I said, promise? <laughs> so I came forward. And I was praying, Lord, send me anybody but that guy, Joe. <laughs> I need a new ministry team member. This was February of 1987, guys, over 30 years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. That guy, Joe, comes up. And he goes, are you ready to be filled with the love of the Father? And that night, when I went to say yes, I broke. I just started to weep. And he went, ah, you're ready. And he put his arms around me. And he said, Father Philip. Now, what I'm about to share is descriptive, not prescriptive. If you're one of my students, you've heard that before. I am describing what my experience looked like. I am not prescribing what yours will look like. Okay? But for me, whew, he pulled the top of my head off and turned on this spigot in heaven that said, love of God. And the love of God just came down out of heaven and just filled me and filled me and filled me. And I stood there for about an hour just laughing and crying and laughing and crying. I didn't fall over. I didn't speak in tongues. But I know that I know that I know the Spirit of God came upon me. I went home to Connecticut the next day and my wife looked at me and she goes, what happened to you? I said, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. She said, do we believe in that? I go, we do now. It's amazing how an encounter with God will change your theology like that. Okay? That summer, Wanda and I went back, and Joe and his wife got around Wanda and I, and they prayed as a couple that we would receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit on our marriage. And we did. Now, some of you are going, well, where is that in Scripture? Well, where is it in Scripture that we're just to individually seek Him? Uh, again, He comes upon groups. He comes upon marriages. He comes upon families. And so... Can I tell you, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill your family, to fill your friends, your loved ones, to fill this region. Come, Holy Spirit, and baptize the Northeast. Baptize New York City. And so we poke holes in the darkness. Stand with me. We poke holes in the darkness now, Lord. And we say, come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill your people. Come and fill this region. Come and fill the churches. 
Lord, would you come tomorrow morning and baptize churches that don't even believe in it? Would you just visit them in such a powerful way that they would know that God is there doing something new and fresh? And Lord, we don't even care what they call it. Just give it to them. And may they never be the same again. So Father, we pray for the Presbyterians. We pray for the Methodists. We pray for every single church in this region. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we're not selfishly asking that you just fill us, although we do want that, but we want to be like the disciples. We want to give it away. We want more. You got more for us, so we got our arms out. More, more. But as we receive, we give it away. As we receive, we bless. There it is. Let them fill you. Let them fill you. Oh, more, Lord. More, Lord. And again, don't compare. Sometimes he comes like a mighty rushing wind. Sometimes it's just the gentle tears on your cheek. It's still him. He's filling you. He's loving on you. Wash over them now, Lord. Wash over them. Okay, this is his manifest presence. Just say, I welcome you, Lord. Just tell him, I want more. I want more. I won't live without more. I'm hungry for more. I'm hungry for more. Hungry for more. Hungry for more. Whoo! Yes, Lord. I'm going to ask the ministry team look around and just pray over people. Pray more. More, Lord. More, Lord. More, Lord. Let it come. Refresh them, Lord. Refresh them. Refresh them, Lord. Refresh them, Lord. listening to Pursuit Cast. For more information on the ministry of Pursuit NYC, please visit us on the web at www.pursuitnyc.org. Revival or bust.